Hello, and welcome to the Human Sense Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This episode is a discussion about emotions and different ways of handling them and thoughts on how they should be addressed. We have a wonderful guest with us today. His name is Connor, and he is going to share some of his stories around emotions. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. So what made you want to come on to our podcast today regarding the topic of emotions? So that's a good question. Um, so I have had some recent, I'm in my early 20s now, and I've had some recent sort of dealings with mental health issues that a lot of times people find come out in their early 20s. You know, you're, you're first facing your adulthood years, and that's when you start to kind of be able to point at certain things that are going on in your life that, you know, you might not have picked up on during adolescence or something. And so I was, I went through a couple tough times in my early twenties that, you know, brought me into some not so great headspaces in terms of my emotions and uh, had me feeling pretty down. So I found that the best way to kind of go forward with this for myself and you know, to help other people is to kind of talk about it and share, you know, what my experience was and sort of how I approached it and, you know, emphasize that everybody approaches it a different way, but this is what worked for me. So when I had the opportunity to come join you two and, and sort of discuss this, I said, oh my gosh, that sounds right up my alley. So here I am. Well, we really appreciate you being here. So to kind of get it started, what are some things, especially with dealing with emotions that you find is the most challenging, especially going into your early twenties? Um, and you had mentioned, I think earlier when we were talking, but you had graduated from university. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. I, I graduated with a bachelor's degree back in 2019. Um, and it's funny because college is actually where sort of this kind of journey began to take shape for me. And I call it a journey because it's, it's been evolving. I kind of set out in this one direction and have taken sort of a winding path to get to where I am now emotionally. Um, I did not ever really have to deal with too many complex emotional issues going through, you know, my late teens. And then right around age 20 is when I started to realize I had a lot more going on. So yeah, it was, it was sort of being in that university setting that exposed me to a lot of this, not only in myself, but in a lot of my peers. And it, it definitely has helped shape kind of the way I approach my day-to-day -day life and my mental health uh, since then. So can you kind of explain um, what your emotions mean to you? Yeah, definitely. Oh, I think that's a great, that's a, a great little prompt right there. Um, I think emotions are something that a lot of people have mishandled for a long time societally. And I think that there are two extremes that we commonly find. And some of it is divided by gender or traditional gender roles. And some of it is, you know, comes down to what kind of culture you subscribe to in terms of what your, your sort of family background is you know, different families have different ways of dealing with emotions. But the two big extremes I found are people who repress their emotions and kind of say, well, I'm never going to let my emotions control who I am. 
and, and they remain very cerebral and logical. And I find people who tend to allow their emotions to completely dictate their life. And they tend to be a bit more impulsive and more reactive in terms of how they kind of cope with emotions. The way I look at emotions from everything I learned in a university setting from any class I've taken, but also just from my life experience is your emotions are a completely um, interdependent part of your decision-making skills. You can't, you can't rely solely on emotions and you can't get rid of them. To me, emotions are the part of, to me, emotions are what goes on inside of me that kind of guides my instincts and, and guides my thought processes. I think it's really important and, and what a lot of people miss is that you have to constantly be in tune with your emotions. Now that means you listen to them and you allow yourself to feel them, but you don't let them dominate your life and you don't try to force them away. It's very much kind of embracing a part of who you are that a lot of times feels like something you can't control. And some people let that sort of out of control feeling take over and, and push them around. And some people uh, try to bully that part of themselves into submission to the point where, you know, they, they no longer kind of feel emotions properly. And so for me, it was kind of coming to terms with this sort of understanding of my emotions that helped me to strike a more, I guess I would say harmonious relationship with feelings in general. That great brings into the next question I want to ask you, Connor, is how do you embrace your emotions? Can you give some examples specifically with emotions that you deal with every single day or, you know, some that stick out most to you? Okay. So the way I approach emotions personally, and again, a lot of this took place over, over time, I had to kind of figure out, you know, how do I how do I find a way to embrace my emotions without letting them kind of control my day-to-day decision-making and things like that? When I first moved to college, I'll give an example. I felt really bad anxiety. It was my first time leaving home and I let my anxiety keep me in my bed all day, every day. I would get up, do a little homework and then get back in my bed. And that was really hard. So I kind of over time decided that I didn't want to let my emotions control me like that. And one thing that I do is I like to periodically meditate. I meditate almost every night and sometimes during the day too. If I ever start to feel that my emotions are taking too much of a hold of whatever it is I'm doing, I like to stop and count to 10, take some deep breaths and sort of think about what emotions am I feeling? Why am I feeling them? And then I stop thinking about them and I just let myself feel them for a bit. And I say, okay, you know, I feel sad. It's okay to feel sad. I feel angry. I feel, you know, anxious, whatever it is. I let myself feel that way for a little bit. And I try to just, it's funny. I, I kind of visualize myself sitting in a room and greeting the emotions like they're friends, like they're at the door and I welcome them. I let them in. And I let them stay a while. But the important part of that analogy for me is when you welcome a guest into your house, each emotion is a guest in my house. When you welcome a guest into your house, you don't try to kick them out and you don't try to make them stay beyond when they want to. 
because if you try to hold a guest prisoner, they're not going to want to come back the same way. And when you try to kick someone out of your house, they're going to be pretty upset about that as well. So for me, the way I kind of embrace them is I welcome the emotion in, I let it stay. I try not to think on it as much once I realize it's there and I kind of peacefully let it leave when it's ready to. That was very insightful. And it sounds like you have some really great coping skills that you utilize, which is super important. Um, kind of going off of that though, do you have any examples or stories where you actually lost control of your emotions and you weren't able to use some of those coping skills that you mentioned? Yeah, absolutely. I think the the biggest ones that come to mind, I mentioned I had anxiety when I first moved into college. And, you know, upon doing some more introspection and talking to mental health professionals like psychologists and counselors, I, I came to realize I have a level of, um, I have some depressive tendencies that are oftentimes linked to separation anxiety. So I would oftentimes feel them uh, when I would go away from home without any contact with my, with my family or when I would go through a breakup or losing a close friend, anything where suddenly a, a very important relationship to me has fundamentally changed in a very large way. So a great example of this, actually, my anxiety and depression took over in a very severe way right around the end of my senior year of college. It was, it was tough timing, but it was right around spring break, uh, eight, late March, early April, where I was trying all of my usual coping strategies, but, but it just felt like the anxiety and the depression were, were kind of beating down my door where I told you, I usually like to let guests in and let them stay. This time they were kicking the door down and it, it was, it was not a peaceful visit. And I actually wound up, uh, kind of curling up into myself and not really knowing what to do. And then finally, I, I even called my mother and I said, I, I think I need to go to an inpatient facility. I think I need, you know, some serious help here. And that was tough for me because you don't want to, a lot of times there's, there's this level of pride where you don't want to admit to yourself that something you are going through is something you don't think you can handle alone. And it took me a few days, but I finally made that decision. And it was absolutely the best decision I, I could have made in, in that circumstance. But I really definitely felt that the sort of coping mechanisms I had, which had worked for me so well, and, and don't get me wrong, these didn't work right away. I had to build these. I built these over time. You know, my first experiences with anxiety and depression helped me start to figure out how to cope with them. But now here I am, I have these established coping mechanisms and still something caught me off guard. So I had to kind of stomach that and say, okay, new challenge. And for me, it was going and getting the professional help I needed in an inpatient facility. What was it like when you were in an inpatient facility? What was the kind of every day to day of being there? So getting to the inpatient facility was definitely a little stressful. I had to spend a night in the emergency room, which wasn't fun because when you're already in a really terrible mental state, you kind of standing in a room and just waiting for something to happen can be even more anxiety inducing. But once I got to this particular facility, I was put in 
a small group where I was actually one of the oldest individuals in the group. I was in a youth inpatient facility, mostly uh, later teens into their mid twenties. And I was one of the eldest. And I just remember at first feeling like I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was just, you know, I was very much there for me. I was like, I need to get better. And my problem isn't anyone else's. This is what I'm dealing with. And I didn't have a negative impression of anybody. I don't want to make it seem like that, but I was very much keeping to myself at first and, and wanted to feel better. I wanted sort of the emotional noise in my, in my brain to, to quiet down a little bit. And I remember one of the first things I did was I went into the little inpatient library and grabbed some storybooks that I had read as a kid, like the Chronicles of Narnia and some old, good, easy to read stories. And one thing that I remember vividly about that was it just kind of pulled me out of my own head perfectly. It was finding something active, nothing extreme, but something simple that brought me back to a better time in my life. And in this case, it was just some good stories that I had read. Now, going forward in the inpatient facility, what what I ended up doing was I kind of got out of my own head and said, I need to talk to everyone here I can. One thing that I have found, particularly in terms of coming to terms with my own mental health, is everyone out there has something to offer in terms of something they can teach you, whether they're older than you, younger than you, no matter what they've been through, they're going to have something, some piece of wisdom that is unique that you haven't heard before. You know, we all live very different lives. So I was talking to some of the professional counselors in the unit first. I felt comfortable going to them because they were professionals and they, so many of them had these really interesting pieces of wisdom to offer me. Now, the reason I was here in the first place was I had just gone through a breakup toward the end of my senior year. And it had brought me to the point where I said, I feel like I'm going to hurt myself. You know, I need to go to this inpatient. And so here I am and everyone there had a different perspective on what I had been through, on why I was feeling the way I was and on how I could get better from there. They all had that kind of mindset. They never gave me a, this is what will happen or this is what you should do. But they were saying, this is a possibility. Here's some potential. And they kind of gave me that sort of freedom to take their advice without feeling like I was being asked to do anything specific. It was, it was letting me kind of visualize for myself what the future would hold and how I could get on a path to feeling better. And sure enough, after about a week, I was probably there a total of nine days. After about six or seven days, I went from being the quiet one who didn't talk to anybody to I had started helping lead group therapy sessions. And I had helped starting to pull other people out of their headspace. And it was a really interesting experience for me. It, it was humbling in many ways, because I, again, I had to put aside my ego and say, look, you know, I, I've, I'm dealing with something that I don't know how to beat. And I had to listen to all these other people who didn't give advice. That was the interesting part. It wasn't advice. It wasn't, here's what you should do. It's, you know, here's how I can relate to you. And here's what I did. Feel free to use that or not. And, and that was 
I think what ended up being the most beneficial to me. Thank you for sharing all of that. That's, it sounds like you learned quite a bit during that time in your life. And we just appreciate your ability to be vulnerable on this platform and share your experience. Now, it sounds like you do a good job of like facing your emotions and coping with them. Um, now, what would you say is the most challenging about facing those emotions? Ooh, that's a good question. I think sometimes the most challenging part of facing your emotions, at least for me, can be a sort of a sort of sense of shame, as in, you know, I feel like I shouldn't be feeling this, or is it fair of me to be feeling this? And, you know, how could I justify that? I think a lot of times in terms of, I think a common one people feel and then feel shame about is un, uh, unwarranted jealousy of a partner or, you know, envy of something that an opportunity that comes to a friend or relative. And then you kind of feel ashamed for feeling that way. And a lot of that at least for me, there's definitely some feelings of guilt and of shame in dealing with emotions at times. And I think it's important that you kind of remind yourself from time to time that the emotions are different than your actions and that it's okay to feel how you feel. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean, oh, I'm, I'm jealous of the opportunity my brother got so I'm going to try to take it from him or I'll sabotage him. No, but it's okay to, you know, feel that jealousy. But again, for me, it's letting it go after part of, part of embracing those emotions is letting them go. So feel the jealousy, but don't cling to it. Don't try to keep it there and, and don't use it as fuel to just bring it in, let it go. I, I almost think of emotions sometimes like waves on a beach, you know, how, you kind of have to let them crash onto the shore and then let them recede back into the water. You can't hold them, no matter what you try to do, you can't hold back the tide and you can't trap it on shore. Even you build the little sand castle in the ground and you try to fill it up with water, but eventually the water gets, it escapes on you. That's kind of how I've had to sort of face my emotions because I was very much the type for a long time who said, oh, they don't control me, so I'm just going to ignore them. You know, I don't get jealous. I don't get I don't really get angry. I don't feel sad ever. And it's just sort of that denial and, and putting up those walls that you do feel them, but you not letting yourself feel them, it gets you all backed up and clogged up emotionally. And you don't, you don't want that dam to break and not know how to handle it. It's better to kind of let the water flow out than it is to build up this, this huge amount of sort of emotional wash in there and and just have it explode out all at once that's really insightful and i really appreciate you sharing the analogies of how you can play your emotions and how it relates to simple things in nature because i think sometimes with emotions people can get really lost and really scrambled of how to define or explain their emotions and I find it very important to see where you can take that advice and how you can relate to other people and how you can give a situation where everyone knows what's happening 
and they can define if that's how their emotions are feeling to them. So again, thank you so much for that analogy. And I want to ask you, you, meant, you mentioned this when we were talking, when you were going through hearing other people's experience with their mental health. Do you think it's important to share your emotions with others? I think it's very important to have an emotional outlet. Now, what I'll say is that everybody portrays emotions differently. Uh, I know some very extroverted people. I'm very extroverted. I need to, and I know this about myself, I need to share my emotions with other people. And I believe that human beings, we are communal animals. We, we tend to thrive on sharing emotions with a group and kind of feeling things as a group. There's a reason that we have large events surrounding things like weddings or funerals because the emotions that we feel during those very happy, those very sad times, they're easier to understand, express, and there's, there is a certain joy in sharing even a sadness as a group. Now, that being said, I think that people who are far more introverted might not be so quick to say, here's how I'm feeling and be very open and expressive with it. I have one friend who when she's feeling down, she likes to be alone and paint. And I, and I know this, but I don't pester her about it. I, I can tell that, oh, she's feeling sad because this is what she's doing. So I think that the way you express these emotions to different people can come out in different ways. I think that for some people, going to see a professional mental health counselor or a therapist is great. I think for some people, having a best friend who is just going to sit there and listen is great. And that's why so many people have uh, therapy pets, like therapy dogs, therapy geese, I've heard of therapy, any kind of pet that, because a pet's not going to come back and respond to anything you're saying. And that's one of the biggest problems I definitely had in my early exposure to mental health was I would try to hear my friends talk about their emotions and try to say, well, you're sad. How can I prevent you from feeling sad? How can I, how can I change this? I think the important part that lets people feel comfortable sharing their emotions is when you don't try to do that. You just listen and you let them be sad. And sometimes it's being sad with them. Sometimes it's being sad with them. You know, there's something to be said for, again, I can go back to the funeral example, but even a sad movie, there's something to be said for crying in a group. And I know it sounds funny. I'm not saying like, let's all get together and cry. But at the same time, there's something to be said for seeing the reflection of your emotions in someone else's face. There's something so powerful about that. So it doesn't always have to be in terms of sharing emotions. Let's sit down and have a therapy session. Let's sit down and we have to hold hands and you have to tell me everything. But sometimes it's, it's even this nonverbal expression of this is kind of what I'm going through. And, and I think as you become privy to that, you become more perceptive and a better listener you start to pick up on those nonverbal cues on someone is sharing their emotions with me right now. And you know what? It's, it's not explicit. They're not saying, Hey, here's what I'm going through. Here's how I feel about it. But they might just reach out to you and be like, Hey, uh, you want to watch a movie? It could be something that simple. And, and as you start developing this ear for emotions, you'll start to kind of 
feel out how different people express it. So to answer your question simply, I would say, yes, I think it's important everybody share their emotions one way or another, um, but it's not always gonna be simple and explicit, like here it is, lay it out for you, spell it out for you. A lot of times it's, it's subtle. And I agree with you with that. I think especially those nonverbal cues that someone might give you or a little bit of background when someone talks to you about something, you wanna make sure, especially if it's your friend, a loved one, that you can either pick up or ask them about what's you know happening right now, just so that you're not giving them something that might even bring out their emotions that they're dealing with in either a bad way or a challenging way. Because I think sometimes when we're not in cue with what people are feeling, we can sometimes bring them down. And I think that's why it's good to kind of do the simple things with others and say yes more often and try to really be more present, especially when it comes to talking to the ones that we care about. And Kai and I always talk about this, but we find that especially with social media, when you get a text from someone, you really, it's really hard to read the emotion behind the text. And sometimes if someone's asking you to do something, it's really easy to put yourself away from the text message, for example, and say, hey, I'm not going to deal with this right now. But how do you know that person might need you right now? But right. that communication is so important. So I feel like sometimes that's lost in our today's society. And I think it's it's really unfortunate because I think if we can really be more present and even call them or pick up more on cues, we could probably do a lot better with how we deal with other people's emotions when they're presenting them to us and being open and helping us cope with our own and be present. So what are some things, especially when it comes to advice, if you saw someone who was going through something or was sharing something with you, I know sometimes we talked about the simple things of, you know, watching a movie, but do you feel it's appropriate to always ask for further questions or do you think it's appropriate to kind of let them come to you? I try to avoid things like always and never, you know, saying things like, oh, it's, it's never okay to ask more. It's always okay to, you know, poke at someone when you, you think you're getting somewhere. That's a tough one. It, it, it's very circumstantial. I think, I think that one of the hardest parts about being a good and active listener is you oftentimes want to know more than someone is ready to share. Now, I will put this on a two-way street and say that a lot of people hold back more than they need to. And I'm, I'm absolutely one of these people. There are times where I need to talk about something and for whatever reason, I don't share it. And I should. However, if someone comes back and keeps asking me about it, even if it is something I, I do want to share, it's kind of that, that pestering that feels a little too much. I think there's a right way to do it. I do think that it is a bit more of a, you know, give them the time. And if they come to you, they come to you. I, I definitely tend to lean that way. There, there's a bit of a difference, I think, depending on relationships. I know parent-child, it can be very hard as a parent, you know, having observed, I'm the eldest of three, having observed my parents deal with my younger siblings. Uh, it can be definitely 
very stressful for them to say, well, I'll just wait and eventually they'll come. Because what if they never do? You know, eventually my, my child will open up to me. You're, you're hoping, you're hoping that's true. So I think it's important to say, to, to ask for more information, but not literally ask for more information, but to offer more support as in, as cliche as it is, but saying like, you know, I just want you to know that whatever you are going through, it's not my business, but I do care about you. And because turn it back to them. Don't make it about their business. It's about them. You don't care about, even if you are kind of nosy, because we all get that way sometimes, even if you do wonder what it is they're dealing with, remember that that's their business, but to support them, turn the focus back to the individual. Be like, I don't know what's going on, but I, I care about you. And, and if you don't want to tell me that's okay, but I want you to know that like whatever you need is what I want to help give you. And I think remembering that is important. If you thought about a physically sick person, you, you wouldn't go about like trying to uh, heal them against their will or something like they, you know, their leg is broken. That's, that's their leg that is broken. You can't like fix their leg, but you can bring them water because they can't walk. It's like, you can't take away what they're dealing with. So what you have to do instead is enable them to deal with the situation themselves. I think that's the really important part. Yeah, you've given such insightful advice and just overall, um, you know, you're just very wise. Well, thank <laughs> so you. Just, Appreciate it's, that. It's been very helpful kind of listening to your insights and what you've shared thus far. And now we're kind of at the end of the episode and we're just going to share some key takeaways that that we've learned throughout the episode. There are many, but we're just going to share a few. And we just really appreciate everything that you shared today and all of the analogies that you used because they, they can stick with you. I think using analogies really makes a big difference. And I'm always going to rem be remembering the, the waves, right? The waves coming, coming, crashing to the shore and kind of just thinking of them as emotions. So as you mentioned before, you know, emotions, we all have emotions inside of us and it can guide our instincts, but it shouldn't take over us, right? And welcome the emotion in and let it stay kind of like a guest, like you said, but peacefully let it leave. That's so important to think of emotions as guests. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. And can I just add that goes for positive emotions too. If you try to cling on to happiness or excitement or something, it will, it will still kind of lead you down that, that sort of trying to capture an emotion. You can't capture it. They're, they are, they are guests. You, you let them leave. And some takeaways that you also mentioned, everyone has something to offer some piece of wisdom through any person that you meet and it's unique to every individual. I thought that was really powerful. I've never heard that before, but you're right. I mean, everyone goes through their own experience and talking to them and understanding and getting any advice or anything that they say, you can definitely learn something new from that conversation. And emotions are different from your actions. I mean, you're right. 
you internalize a lot with your emotions, but doesn't mean that they always have to be your actions. And also kind of how we were ending the podcast, having an emotional outlet, depending on the person, what they need and seeking it when you can and looking for those social cues is extremely important. So Connor, these takeaways have been fantastic and we really appreciate you coming on the podcast and being open with us. And I think you mentioned, you mentioned this perfectly with the conversations you were having with individuals who were seeking mental health treatment. It wasn't the advice that you got, it was the experiences that other people were sharing. And I, that's what we really hope that people tuning in on this platform experience because it's not just an individual advice and it might not pertain to you. It's about what is related to you and what you can learn from what other people have to say. So again, thank you so much for tuning in and sharing everything and anyone tuning in, we appreciate you being here. Thank you so much.